The Start On Demand. On demand. Last night we had the Manitoba Leaders Debate. If you want to call it that, you'll hear our opinions on what we saw, and then you'll hear 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier's thoughts, since he was there as one of the three journalists chosen to grill the leaders. Hint, he's not happy with what he saw. Longer and hotter summers are set to be the new norm in Canada. That might sound like a good thing, but scientists at the University of Winnipeg say... Not so fast. And the first ever African ad carnival is happening in Winnipeg this weekend. We'll meet the guy behind it, and you are going to love him. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and a vacationing Greg Mackling. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, August 29th podcast for The Start. myself there we go will's looking at me in master control like what are you doing and i'm looking at will like what are you doing i can't hear myself and i'm shouting because i didn't realize it was 605 i'm like will can you hear me through the glass oh boy is it going to be one of those days oh i hope not yeah usually these days happen when you're not here and greg and i are like oh my gosh we have to push buttons and like stay on the clock and pay attention and so i count on you to be the the rock of the room. The, the, the anchor, so the to speak. Anchor. Well, you, may, you mentioned on the clock, so why don't we just get right into it? Because that debate last night, that I don't think I've ever seen anything that was so on the clock in my life. Right. It was, they, there was just, like, they'd get five seconds... And then they'd be, okay, we got to move on. Well, here's the problem. And and they know it. It's, it's part strategy. So they get told to ask questions. And we're going to play some of this audio just after 635. But for example, the first question was supposed to be about jobs in the economy. Then the person who starts to talk is supposed to ask a question. They take a minute to yeah. talk about themselves or their party or what their party has done or what their party has planned. Then they're being urged, okay, wait, wait, where's the question? So they get to the question. The person answers the question but doesn't answer the question. So then they're interrupting them to say, okay, hang on, the question was this. The moderator's in the middle saying, the question is about jobs and the economy. (laughs) They're talking health. Everyone's just like, what's going on? And it started hard like that, right out of the gates. Uh, Brian Pallister and Wab Canoe were going after one another. And I was like, oh, boy, we've set the stage here for this sort of format. And as you mentioned, the whole, okay, your time's up, you got to move on. And so it's, it, they know they have to use the clock efficiently. They're told this. They rehearse from, for this, is my understanding. Yep. But at the end of the day, they have a message to get out. So whatever your question is, sometimes doesn't matter. And then at the end, they ran out of time. Yeah, like, didn't it just get cut off? And Dougal Lamont is, is the last. So they each get at the end a couple minutes. I think it was probably a minute or less to sort of wrap up their thoughts and, Liberal leader Dougal Lamont was the last to go, and he's in mid-sentence, and time was up. Yeah, and it just went it so just went straight into Big Brother. Right back to your clock. Clock's okay. up, right? I mean, it's over. We have a show following up on all the stations that were running it. So, yeah, that's a it's a tight debate. It's a tough one. I don't and I and I don't know in this day and age, you know, when they're online and putting their platforms out on social media and all the rest, it's not like it was even ten years ago. You you made a point of watching debates, or you tried to, because you wanted to see what they were like and who they are and and how they act with one another. And that's still important to someone like me, but I don't know if 
Like I, I was sitting on the couch with a glass of wine, looking out the window as all the neighbors are out on the street talking and laughing. And I'm like, I am the only one in here right yeah. now. Yeah, I I honestly found it mostly unwatchable, uh, partly because they were talking over, Canoe and Pallister in particular, talking over each other. I mean, it was funny when you see the two of them side by side when they do the split screen and they're both talking, so they're clearly not listening to each other. And just, but the, then the constant interruptions and, you know, a journalist would ask a question and the politician would start to answer the question and 10 seconds later, the journalist would say, okay, we got to move on. And uh, it was, it was, it got to a point where, there was essentially no content because it was they were just chasing the clock. Now, on the flip side, I've been to forums or debates where you have more time, and that becomes challenging too because then if you, the more time you give someone, not all, but some candidates will just use that time to sort of wax on about what they feel is important and, again, not answer the question. And so you would have three minutes of a person non-answering or sort of answering or working their way around the answer. And so that's equally frustrating. I don't know what the answer is in the sense of how do you make a debate work for people so that it's palatable and that you and that you understand what the answer was or what that person was trying to get at or their message. I, I don't know. I, for me, last night, uh, didn't. I don't watch it for what is said as much as how they say it. Yep. And so I'm on the opposite end in terms of having liked it for the different little nuances that I spotted in character or how a person acts or other. Okay, so... You're and, the... and that helps me as a voter, not necessarily as a, as a journalist, but as a voter, I watch for those little things. So you're the seasoned journalist in the room and you're the political junkie out of the two of us. Would you be comfortable giving grades or, or declaring a winner in the debate last night? I don't. I don't think there was... A winner. Pallister was under, there was no winner. There were people who, so I would say the liberal leader and the Green Party leader did well in the sense that they they weren't attacking all the time. They had pointed questions. They answered, for the most part, the questions that were asked to them. And then the challenge became that the PC leader, Brian Pallister, and Wab Canoe, NDP leader, are going after each other so much that I, I would say in those exchanges, sometimes Wab Canoe emerged on top. But when you're the premier, you're the one that's going to get attacked repeatedly in that situation. And so you have to sort of grade it on a curve. Yeah. I, I don't think there was a winner. Sometimes there's there's sometimes debates where you're like, whoa, that was that was the knockout punch. That that didn't happen last night. Yeah. And Wab Canoe, interestingly enough, was the only one who would look at the camera. Mm-hmm. Whenever he was speaking, he would look at the camera. So he was directly addressing the audience. And the observation I made about Pallister is I just found he he kept regurgitating what the previous government would do, he, he was all he was saying was the we inherited this mess, and the previous government did this, did this, did this, did this. Instead of talking more about what his government did, not saying that he didn't, but I about halfway through, I thought just get off of it already. Like I, can we move forward instead of looking back three years? It's just so typical. I think the NDP when they were elected back in '99 wrote 17 years of the same, like, well, back when you were government and hallway medicine, and at one point it was like, yeah, okay, I get it, but that's 16 years ago or 15 years ago, and so that's tactic. Doesn't mean you have to like it. Yeah. But that's just the way, like, that's the way they do things, and and we have heard from listeners, particularly in this campaign, that have said, you know, uh, Barb wrote last night after the debate to say, you know, I've, I've had enough of these attack ads, so... It's had a great influence on my vote, and so now this person is going NDP after 40 years of voting something else. And it's about those—some people are frustrated with the, you did this, without saying, 
well, I'm going to do this. Yeah, but it's interesting that Barb would say she's tired of the attack ads and going after the NDP because the NDP have their own attack For ads. Sure. Where they, are, where they outright call Pallister names in their ads. So they're, they're all guilty of, of that kind of thing. And last night's debate, it was the only televised debate of the campaign. And really, when it comes down to it, it might be the only debate between all of the main party leaders, period. In past elections, there have been debates in Brandon. They're usually hosted by the Chamber of Commerce. But that debate was canceled recently after the conservatives, conservatives said they wouldn't participate. And the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce is scheduled to host a debate next week. But again, Brian Pallister still hasn't said whether he will be there. So that debate could be canceled. So again, last night's TV debate might be the only chance to get to see these leaders together, period. And you didn't need to tune in long to see how it was going to go. After introductions, the moderator, Red River College's Joanne Kelly, set the stage with what was supposed to be the first topic. In this segment, each leader can ask the leader of their choice a question regarding jobs and the economy. We drew for order. Brian Pallister will ask the first question. So, Mr. Pallister. We inherited a massive mess from the previous government. They had made our debts higher. Uh, our wait times the longest in Canada, raised our taxes after promising they would not do so. Okay, so he's talking jobs and the economy. And to be fair, Conservative leader Brian Pallister did start with the economy. But as often the case with debates and with all the leaders, the question time is eaten up by statements or attacks but no questions. So after 37 seconds, and I timed this because it was 37 seconds of him talking about what his government has done, fine. He was reminded he was supposed to ask a question. Here's what it was. Mr. Canoe, you've made a a number of promises in your platform. Manitobans know who will pay for those promises. They just want to know how. Uh, Mr. Canoe, will you be raising the PST, yes or no? Now, Mr. Pallister, I've been talking to a lot of people in this election, and let me say that the PST is a settled issue. It's not going up. This election is about health care. Okay, so he answered the question. He's not going to put the PST back up to 8%. But then he went on to talk about health care for a full minute. Again, I timed this. Good for you. Which is how the NDP has tried to frame this entire election as a vote on health care. And yeah, I suppose you could throw in there that jobs are a part of health care. The economy comes around health care. That's where that went. Most, not all, most of the exchanges between Pallister and Canoe sounded like this. Now we need a good approach. But going back in time is not the answer. Every other city in Canada has made the changes. Every other city in Canada has made the changes. And they have shorter wait times than we do. People waiting. Brad, if you weren't laughing, people would have understood what was said there. Yes, that's right. That's on you. Sorry. Question, did you catch any of that? So they didn't talk over each other the entire 50-minute debate, but that set the stage for a debate where Pallister was the repeated target. Again, that's typical. He's the premier, the incumbent. That's usually how it goes. Liberal leader Dougal Lamont and party leader James Bedham also asked their first questions to the Tory leader, although the Lamont, Dougal Lamont also went after the NDP, saying its program was almost as conservative as Pallister's. I'll just say that there's nothing courageous about cutting life-saving drugs, which is exactly what the premier has done, or about implementing an NDP plan to reform Manitoba's health care system. There were some respectable exchanges on meth and crime healthcare reforms, and climate change. We will take real, meaningful action to address climate change. Only the Green Party of Manitoba can be trusted with this important file. We humbly ask Manitobans to take a look at the Green Party. And then near the end, again, 
this. What yeah. we are doing Again. is endeavoring to balance the books and lower taxes at the same time, and we are. Mr. Kenyu doesn't want to take responsibility for the NDP records. Let me ask him. Again, the NDP record was 15 tax hikes in 14 years. Most of them, after they gave the same the answer, they yeah. promised no. they wouldn't do it. Again, promised they wouldn't raise it. Ten seconds left. Mr. Give the same answer as Greg Salinger gave. Now, now, gentlemen. Exactly yeah. the same. Mr. Pallister, let Mr. Again, answer. You know, I, I respect the fact that Mr. Pallister and his team prepared these questions, but I've already answered them many times. We're going to keep life affordable. We're going to move towards balance, but along the way, we're not going to cut health care. So I think the strategy there by the Conservative team is to raise that issue that an NDP government will again, you know, it's about taxes. The NDP raised taxes and the, and the, and the Tories cut them. Canoe uh, brought it back to health care again. And uh, again, there was a lot of interruption there. We're going to play some more audio later, Brett, and also and talk to Richard Cloutier because uh, I think the section that he helped to moderate last night was a section on healthcare, which is, that we know, top of mind for people, was probably the most controlled one, at least, where there were some answers. So we're going to play a bit of that and then talk to Richard at 7.45. Yeah, I, I, I jotted down some notes as we were going through. Uh, I, I particularly enjoyed Pallister. He made a, he was answering one of Dougal Lamont's questions, and he had, I think he, at the end he said, we're not going back to crazy land here. So uh, apparently crazy land is... Is the is, NDP land, yeah. Uh, part of Manitoba. Um Pallister dodging Canoe's question on where were you regarding the Manitoba Hydro Board snafu. He just kept asking, where were you? Where were you? And Pallister did not answer the question. Uh, talking over each other like children, as you heard, <clears throat> which is one of the things that I have always disliked about politics, you know, when they're in the house and they're shouting at each other and hooting and hollering like a bunch of children in the sandbox. Um, and... Uh, I also noted, and perhaps you maybe picked up on this, Loren, but uh, Joanne Kelly appeared to be very stressed. It, it, that, well, that's got to be a stressful job, being it, a moderator, especially for a televised debate, which is uh, has a hard out time. There, there's no, you have to get out. She's got to keep it to time. And I think the stress, too, is you want to keep it fair. Each person is supposed to get a fair shot at answering the question or asking a question. And when everybody goes over, which, again, is intentional probably on their part, mm-hmm. then nobody gets a chance to, to respond in, in a fair amount of time. And so you're trying to keep everybody on the clock because you're also very aware, having done some—I've never done the televised debate in that position, but you're very aware— that people at home are like, well, hang on, so-and-so only got so many minutes to talk, and this person didn't get that. Like, if you're if you're a person who is loyal to a certain party, you're watching for that, too, about the the issue of fairness. And so that, that was a no-win situation, particularly when the NDP and PC leader were talking. That one was rough. I, have the, I was just trying to find the hydro um, exchange because I did have it queued up this morning, too, because that was uh, the point in the debate when some of my family members came back into the house and they're all talking to me and I was like, shh, be quiet. I'm trying to listen here. And then I was like, never mind. <laughs> really? Yeah. Cause they were talking and there was the, the canoe and Pallister talking and the kids are talking. I was like, what am I getting from this anyway? So yeah, I will, I will endeavor to play that for folks later. And you can let us know once again, 204-780-6868. If you watched the debate or let us know if you didn't, like if you don't care, let us know, 204-780-6868. We got one text that we that uh, came in right after we played that first clip of Canoe and Pallister talking over each other, and this listener says, that exchange you just played was as far as I made it into listening to this debate. That was what, not even three minutes in? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe. 
Uh, yeah. No, less. Uh, I, because the first, she, uh, a minute and a half. I should have timed that too. So I'm all about the timing today. Someone else wrote in to say, to be fair, it sounded like question period at the legislature, which is how some of those exchanges go. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Or you can email us, brett at cjob.com and McNabb at cjob.com. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling back next week. Jeff Braun is here. Cameron Poitras is here. Will, po- Will Reimer is in Master Control, in for Jeff Fortier. And we want to talk right now about loyalty to salespeople uh, in retail situations. And here's the, this, the situation that precipitated my dilemma. Went into a furniture store on Tuesday because I am in need of a new couch. And... I would. It's not a desperate rush. Like I'd like to have it by early next week. It's not like an emergency couch situation. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just something I would like to get this taken care of. Because Without the couch, you're just a potato. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> nice. So I would just like to get. I need to get a new couch, and I'd like to get it sooner than later. So I went into a place on Tuesday after work, and I looked around, and I the first one I looked at, I actually really liked. I like the the two piece chaise sectional, very comfortable. So uh, then a, a sales guy saw me sitting there and he came over. Um, I'd been in the store for like two minutes and I said, I'm, I'm good for now. I'm just browsing, just getting some ideas. But if I have any questions, I'll come find you. So naturally he was hovering and I understand, like I have no ill will towards the sales guy for hovering. But uh, so I figured, okay, well, I'll ask him a question. And I said, well, that's the style that I like. Do you have, what else do you have? So he showed me around and he took me through the entire store and answered some dumb questions. Like I, I walked by this one thing and I, it was this big black box and it looked like it had speakers on it. And I said, what's that? And he says, it's a smart coffee table. Didn't know that they did that now, oh but it's got, it has like a digital readout on the top of the table and it has a beer fridge inside and it has speakers. Oh my God. And that's a neat toy. Does it have a bad attach? Because they're just basically <laughs> set. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, he didn't have to answer that question because there was no way I was going to buy that. And I said, that's, a, that's an aspirational toy for another day. But uh, so he helped me for about 10 minutes. And then eventually we circled back to the first one that I looked at, which is the one that I liked. But I wasn't ready to buy anything just yet because I was tired, I was hungry, and I just, I didn't want to make an impulse. I wanted to make sure I wasn't making an impulsive decision. So he said, well, here's a deal. I'm not here until Friday. I've got Wednesday, Thursday off. So now I'm wondering, I've made the decision. I want the couch. But do I wait until Friday? Because he did help me. Or do I just go get it and hope when I tell them, like, this is the guy who helped me. Here's his name. Please make sure he gets the commission. Because I've heard that he might not get the commission, even if they tell me. They'll do that. So what should I do? Jeff Braun. Oh, you should wait and buy it from the guy. Yeah? It's it's tomorrow, right? So yeah. You can, yeah, that's no that's no uh, big deal. So I would wait. I would go back to that guy. He seemed like he was nice. Okay. Oh, oh, Jeff, so cute. <laughs> what about you, McNabb? What do you think? My first inclination was like, no, I'll just get it. When you, when you just mentioned it briefly yesterday, and now having heard your story and your thoughts and your feelings, I, and, and Jeff's point is right, I'd say... I'd say, uh, yeah, wait till, until tomorrow. But uh, for the for the most part, I don't have. I personally don't have that kind of loyalty unless I'm really drawn in or I find them working really hard for me or or just being super funny or kind. Yeah, yeah, because Ouch. I understand that <laughs> they like, have to they have to make me laugh. Tell me a joke, salesperson. And I always feel bad <laughs> when I walk into a furniture store because there's always someone who's right there on top of you. 
And uh, I think I went into two more places. Like I went back to look at it again, and then I went to a couple of other stores. And right away, it's, oh, hello there. Can I help you? And I'm just browsing. And uh, then I got a, I proceeded to get a spiel on something, and I probably looked annoyed. So I feel bad because it's just got to be a stressful job. Commission, sales. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. Uh, and, I, would, and I couldn't handle your, the anxiety. If that's, say, 80% or whatever the percentage is of your salary, like if, if, if you're only making some money, and sometimes in some places it's no salary, your mm. only money is the commission. I don't know about this furniture store. Then that's like... You need that. That guy needs you to come back. He's just sitting at home being like, when when are that tall guy is going to come get this couch? (laughs) What about your point, Chris? Well, you know, I thought for a second. I said, ah, you don't know this guy anything. You should go in and get it. But then I remembered, like, uh, when I bought my car, I just went in for a test drive. and said, I got to think about it. And I got the guy's card. And then when I went back and I finally decided that was I was going to go with this vehicle, um, I made sure that I went with uh, that guy because he was the one that took me on the test drive and kind of walked me through the process. So, yeah, go back tomorrow and uh, mm-hmm. and you know give the guy a give the guy a little bit of a I don't know a little bit of a payday I guess you could say. But yeah, yeah help him out. Okay, Will. Yeah, I would say go back to the guy. I was under like when I saw you post on Facebook or whatever. It seemed like more of a time sensitive issue, and you were sounding like you were going to go there immediately. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know, if you talk to the supervisor or the manager or something, I would assume that they would have the courtesy to give that person the commission. I did work for commission for a very brief time. I sold cars for like six or eight months. And I can tell you from that perspective, I would really appreciate if somebody came back and, you know, wanted to give me the give me the commission for that. And was that the bulk of your salary? Like yes. the commission from a sale? Or- they have a guaranteed amount that you're you're going to make no matter what. Right. Um, so if you don't make your target or whatever, that's what you're going to make. But did then you make your target? Uh, I did eventually, but for the first few months, no. Yeah. No, they were just like supporting me basically. Wow. Yeah. So okay. definitely go back. And then after I quit, I had a guy call me like on my cell phone like six months later or something. He's like, oh yeah, I really like that car you showed me like half a year ago. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, way too late. Way too late. I quit working there. <laughs> go buy it. Send car, me the commission. Does he think the car's still there all that yeah, time no later too? Like that's yeah, a long know. time. That's funny. Okay. Well, and we've got some text <laughs> feedback on this as well. Uh, Gary was saying, just go get the couch. You don't worry. Don't worry about it. Other people are saying just just go to IKEA. I do like <laughs> IKEA, but I'm not a fan of their couches over there. Uh, a lot of businesses, when the salesperson is on commission, have a pair that work on opposite shifts that split the commission. In cases like this, you can ask if they do this. So yeah, I don't know. I I, I, pre- I appreciate this. I think uh, I feel better about waiting. Like until a full tomorrow. therapy session for you. Uh, the thing with commission is that I when they work when they when they're talking you through it and taking your phone calls and you're going back and forth over a couple of days. I completely appreciate going back to that person. I've also had the opposite experience where I, we walked into a dealership. We knew the car we wanted as long as it drove well and I liked it. We were going to get that car, you know, if the deal worked out. So we walked in, said, we want to see that car. Can we get the keys? This Some random person got us the keys. And then as soon as we drove back onto the lot, the sales guys, there all like, hey, how'd you like it? And we're like, yes, that's Let's let's discuss the price. Let's go. And then for days he was texting, and I was like, you didn't, he didn't he didn't work for the sale, and so then that was frustrating too. Like we knew what we wanted, and I didn't think that that was. Did you, uh, you should have asked him for some of the commission. Yeah, I should have asked him for some of the commission. Yeah. <laughs> Let yeah. us know what you think. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. You can email Brett at cjob dot com or McNabb at cjob dot com. Uh, Jeff, when you go into any sort of retail outlet, oh, I, I try and hide. 
I just like, please don't come talk to me. I just don't feel like talking to those people. <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. Like ever? You don't want help ever? Only at the finals after I would have picked out the couch and said, I'm thought to myself, I'm going to buy it. Now I need a guy to like tell me what to like, do next. I've, 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 I've ran away from salespeople before. <laughs> like there was one guy at this at this one electronic show. He was just, you know, come here. Come here. No, come with me. Come with me. I was like, no, no, no. I'm, and I actually <laughs> ran out of the store. I had to get away from the guy. He was driving me insane. <laughs> I would have paid to see that. Yeah, if you've got a story like Cam, it's a, running from it's a, a fine line gun. about <laughs> applying pressure. Right? Canadians should get used to the heat waves because longer and hotter ones are on the way. Scientists at the University of Winnipeg are warning of more frequent events, and, and this kind of ties into what we were just talking about with what felt like a drought for many parts of the province this year, and those cattle farmers struggling. They're talking about more frequent. Heat waves, which could lead to potential health issues, those droughts I just mentioned, and wildfires. This report suggests in southern Canada, the number of heat waves we see each summer could triple. And while we know there will be some of you, and I'm sure we hear this often, Brett, that will say, good, we like hot, warm summers. U of Winnipeg geography professor Ian Morrow says there is nothing good about what's being predicted. We get really cold here, and of course we love the reemergence of summer and heat. But what we're talking about is heat waves. And in the report, we talk about heat waves as three consecutive days or more of plus 30 degrees Celsius. And so that's different than a nice warm day in summer. That's a really hot series of days. And when we talk about these heat waves, that's categorically different because people can't cool down. People get hot. The environment gets hot. When we talk about these heat waves of the future and they're increasing, you know, in duration, in intensity, and, you know, there being more of them, this is an uncomfortable future. This isn't kind of that nice, you know, picture of summer. It's, it's, a, it's a, a challenging future. And so the Prairie Climate Centre, where I'm the executive director, we have a fabulous team. We produced this report to talk about what that means for Canadians. Because heat waves in Europe this year, as you may have followed in your work, you know, devastated France. They killed people. Last year in Montreal, in Quebec, you know, there were dozens of people that died because of extreme heat. So this is something that's happening now. And when we look at the data that our group has put out in partnership with other people that create the data, these are going to be more intense as we move forward. So again, that's Ian Morrow with the Prairie Climate Centre at the University of Winnipeg. He spoke last night with Charles Adler. And Loren, you found another clip of him in a different interview where he says, it's not just about heat, it is droughts and fires. We are preparing now for a future that is coming, which is going to be hot, which is going to be smoky because of forest fires, which is going to be, you know, amped up in terms of all of these kind of various stressors that are going to be placed on on individuals, on communities, on society as a whole. So here's how it would look in Winnipeg, where historically a heat wave here lasts about three to four days. The prediction from the Climate Centre here in Winnipeg is that by 2051 to 2080, so starting potentially in about 30 years, a heat wave would last longer than seven days. Southern parts of Canada, we are going to see an increase in summer temperatures. And in northern parts of Canada, we're going to see a loss of the cold that amplify all sorts of risks to Arctic communities. And so we need to be thinking about this large geographic place we call home, we call Canada, and how we can think through this kind of warm future. So our temperatures here on the prairies, you know, 
during a heat wave might hit, say, 34 degrees. Well, that we get about three of those, and they're going to rise to more than 23 days in 30 years. So you'll see, you know, potentially three weeks, not maybe all at once, but 20 three days of these really, really high temperatures. And so they're just, you know, again, it's another group sounding the alarm over the possibility of really rapidly changing environment with climate change. Yeah, I mean, the the story at globalnews.ca, which we've linked to our 680CJOB Instagram story, if you want to read more, points to how last summer a heat wave in Quebec killed as many as 70 people. Most of them were men over the age of 53 in Montreal living without air conditioning. So, indeed, if you have air conditioning and you can go outside and enjoy the heat but then retreat to somewhere cool, particularly in your home, then you're fine. But if you live in a situation where you don't have air conditioning or maybe your air conditioning breaks down, like let's say you're an older person, you mm-hmm. live in a in an apartment block and the, you know, maybe you you have health problems or you have mobility issues and your air conditioning breaks down, if you're stuck in your apartment, that's a serious problem. Like when I first moved in, I lived in an apartment on Cordon when I moved in, I guess, six years ago and it did not have air conditioning. And the first summer... Uh, like, I moved in in February, and it was fine. And then suddenly, one day in July, it went from, like, 20 degrees to over 30 degrees, and it was humid. Right. And my apartment was miserable. Like, I didn't even, didn't even want to go home. Right, and that's, say, that's three days. So now you look at extending the possibility. If the average, if your average sort of suffering was three days, you might think, I can get through that. But if you're sleeping through that, you're elderly that can't get out to a cooler place like a mall or the library, and you're trapped in that, that's where it becomes dangerous. I, I remember doing in Toronto, and I completely get that that's a, a different climate in the sense compared to Winnipeg, but I remember doing a ride-along with paramedics in Toronto a few summers ago when I was working there, and they actually have crews that go out to some of the more vulnerable to in summer. And the paramedics said they're more stressed about heat than they are about cold because the cold, you can typically find a place to warm up. But the heat, there's no escape from it. You can add layers on if you're cold. Like if you already are in an apartment, you can throw on a blanket, you can cuddle together. But if you're in that apartment and not able to get out, say you're a senior, you can't do anything to cool down. So they go in and they would put tubs of cold water for people to put their hands in just to try to cool down and provide fans. And so that was a few years ago before we were talking about the possibility of how much warmer our summers could get. And that's a good point too. Even when it's cold, if you if you have nowhere to go, if you keep you can at least keep moving, right? But when it's super hot, the last thing you want to do is keep moving because that could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. You can get dehydrated and and suffer from uh, heat stroke. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, this is uh, it sounds good at the least on the surface, but then when you dig a little deeper, it's kind of scary. So you can read more at cjob.com, and again, we've linked the story to our Instagram. The Small Town Salute, brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort. It's true. Get real cash back on your play. Find out more at southbeachcasino.ca. Loren McNabb, where are we going this week? We are going to Cola, Manitoba, or they might want to be called Elkhorn. I'm going with Cola because I like the name. But they're sort of in the in-between zone on the Saskatchewan border. Going there for a couple of reasons. We think it's a cool name. We like the location because Greg hates Saskatchewan. Yep. And they've got a really cool thing out there uh, uh, that we're going to tell you about in a moment. But first, let's chat with Mark Humphreys. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? Okay, so are you in Cola or are you in Elkhorn? Whereabouts are you? 
Well, we're right in between, actually. But yes, we're, we're close to Cola and Elkhorn. Um, we actually, you know, our sort of postcode is Elkhorn. So yeah, we, we, we're probably more Elkhorn than Cola. So if I were heading your way, how would I get there from Winnipeg? Well, yeah, we go just off the number one. Um, it's actually the first, Elkhorn is the first town off the number one from Saskatchewan. Uh, we're just inside there. If you're uh, uh, going up to us, we're about 16 clicks um, north off the number one. And Elkhorn is actually just off the number one. So it's, uh, it's that's that first town, yeah. So first of all, I'm curious, uh, how long have you lived in Manitoba? We've been here 11 years. We emigrated from Yorkshire, England. What brought you here? Well, we uh, we came to go back to to basic farming. We had a zoo and a riding school in uh, in England, uh, and also I was a musician on the on the side. So we came back to to sort of melt into a nice, steady rural life, um, and things took a turn. And we we actually bought some greenhouses, um, and then we bought some more exotic animals that um, that we had some contacts with with zoo federation people, and we started a small exotic collection and a garden centre over, uh, you know, near Cola, Manitoba. This is what I love about our listeners, Mark. It was just a few days ago that someone texted us, and I, I don't know what prompted the conversation, but they said you should go to Cola, Manitoba, and then someone wrote, yes, it's home to this amazing wildlife sanctuary. Uh, it's called Westwood Ranch. You're, you're kind of like the movie We Bought a Zoo. Like, you, you moved out there, you've got some animals. Tell us about it. What, what? Yeah, very similar. Yeah, well, we we we've got the only zebras uh, in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, so we have five zebras. Uh, we have lemurs and we have wallaroos, which is like a small kangaroo, uh, parrots and ostriches, emus, lots of different farm animals. You know, sort of a few reptiles kicking around there as well. We do school visits. We have something like forty to fifty school visits per year, and we've had schools as far as Winnipeg, and also as far as Regina. So we bring a fair fair amount of people into the area. We'll probably do about ten to 11,000 people through the door a year. And, um, you know, to coin a phrase, we're in the, the middle of book naked nowhere. So it's, uh, <laughs> we're off the beaten track. But uh, as the saying goes, if you build it, they'll come. And that's what we've done. And people do. The only zebras in Manitoba? And Saskatchewan. The only zebras in Manitoba, yeah. Winnipeg Zoo actually uh, had to move their zebras on uh, when the polar bears arrived. So... Uh, these weren't them. We actually these were brought in from BC, but uh, yeah, they they live extremely happily out here in in uh, in Kola and Elkhorn. Yeah, I've seen on your website there's all sorts of different am- animals. Some that might be more familiar to Manitobans, the zebras and the kangaroos and the lemurs might not. Uh, do they come to you because they were rescued in some way? How, how did these animals end up with you? Yeah, some we've acquired, but some actually do come to us because, um, you know, people get these animals and then not really sure how to keep them or, you know, sort of grow out of them along the way. We've had a few parrots there brought in. We've even had an ostrich. Uh, we had three ostriches originally brought in that weren't, weren't being kept very well. Uh, so we brought them in and, and gave them a better home. Um, and we've had bearded dragons and uh, even down to goldfish, you know, people get these guys and they're not quite sure how to look after them. And um, we obviously rehouse them. And then they, you know, go along to educate kids and also give people a lot of pleasure looking at them. So it's, it, it works, you know, it works both ways for us. How many animals are you taking care of? Oh, crikey, that's a good question. Um, we, we've got a fair few. I mean, the w- winter is the problem for us, obviously, with heat. Uh, we can only take so many. Um, so we have to be careful how, you know, how many we can house properly to make sure we keep them warm. 
because um, we've got two heated barns. So when, when that's full, we, you know, we can't take any more. But um, I would think um, uh, probably over 100 animals altogether. How many people are looking after these animals? Well, we, um, it's my wife and myself, Jill, uh, through the winter months. And then through summer, we have summer students. We've trained um, two or three summer students up here that's gone on to be uh, veterinary students. Um, so they come for the experience. We have uh, a couple of disabled workers, which we're extremely proud to have. Um, and they help us. When we're planting with the greenhouse, you know, we, we do a lot of planting there. We have 10 commercial greenhouses and open to the public and deliver to various stores and when we're when we're up thick you know fast planting we can have up to 22 people working here all together some of our listeners you know who, who are familiar with the zoo are writing in uh, mark to tell us that the zebras perhaps were moved out of the assiniboine park zoo here in winnipeg partly because of climate which you mentioned the cold might be challenging for them so how do you keep some of these animals warm yeah, the zebras didn't come from the, the yeah, they, they, they actually do very well in about minus 15 outside. They'll go outside in the snow and they'll roll and they love it. Um, but obviously about minus 15 is, is about the maximum they'll stand. The rest of the time they have to be in. So if you get a hot sunny day, uh, you know, or a, a good sunny day during winter, they, they love to go out. Uh, but obviously when it's cold, they stay in, uh, you know, they're on thick bed straw and um, they, you know, they're, they're as happy as Larry when they're inside. So... Uh, we get them out as many times as we can during winter, but the rest of the time they do stay in. Kind of sounds like me. Fif- minus 15 is about where I yeah. like it. <laughs> it's a good temperature to max out, isn't it? Yeah. The website is westwoodgardencenter.com. You can see all the animals and details and all the cool stuff happening out there near Cola slash Elkhorn. Mark Humphreys, thank you so much for joining us today to tell us about this wonderful facility you have out there. It doesn't sound like, like you guys sound busy. I'm not so sure about the quiet rural life that you were, you came here to find. Yeah, we're certainly active. Yeah, it keeps us busy. We're, uh, uh, we're never bored. So, yeah, if you know, and in Elkhorn itself, you know, there's plenty of other things to do. We've got a fantastic museum, motor museum in Elkhorn, and uh, and some great local shops there. And, uh, it's uh, it's a progressive little town. Same with Cola. You know, it owns its own own rink, its school. It's still very active. So a lot of things to do in the area as well with, uh, if people come to visit. All right, Mark. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate this very much. Thank you very much for the interest. I've spoken to nurses, doctors, technicians, and they say, well, in theory, the plan works. The reality is, is that they're overwhelmed and overworked. What's your message to them, Mr. Pallister, and to those people that rely on those health care services that feel that, you know what, uh, we don't like this change right now. What's your message to them, sir? Have courage and recognize that these changes have been implemented across our country that they do work. At least one of our listeners texted us this morning to say thank God for Richard Cloutier, part of the panel of journalists in the Manitoba Leaders Debate 2019, which featured Brian Pallister, Wab Canoe, Dougal Lamont, and James Bedham. And Richard joins us now live on The Start. Richard, good morning to you, sir. Hey, guys, good morning. One of the things I think that always gets asked out of debates like this, Richard, is who won? I said to Brett this morning, I wasn't sure if I had a clear answer for that. What was your takeaway as you sat in the uh, closest seat possible last night? Well, I felt like eye candy because I was only there uh, for six <laughs> minutes on health care issues. Uh, I heard your 610 and I thought that was a very sound assessment. But there's a, a political science term 
that uh, I think I need to refer to uh, on this, and it, uh, it, it probably describes it uh, appropriately. It sucked. <laughs> okay, that's good. It <laughs> sucked. It sucked like an auric, to borrow the phrase from Charles Adler. There was way too much crosstalk. I, I, I felt badly for, uh, for the moderator in this because, again, um, unfortunately, um, men will sometimes be boys, and instead of asking a question, they'll give you a speech and then get to the question, and the question is as lame as heck. And then when you got to my part, and I, I thought I asked some pretty good questions, but you're on the clock for six minutes and you have four leaders. So you really try to manage that time as best as possible. And I understand, uh, and, 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 and I, I, I really, really love and respect my, my colleagues on this, but I don't think the environment is, it's an important issue, but it's not top of mind. Uh, on Manitobans at this point. So then that's another six, almost seven minutes. And then the crime and safety issue was fine. And then more of this crosstalk and some of the underhanded stuff. It was frustrating. And I know, uh, you were watching, both of you were watching and, and the frustration was growing. And Loren, I know you were inside. The neighbors were outside <laughs> and I would have bailed. I would have absolutely bailed. And gone out and had some some wine and some good conversation with the neighbors. Well, I had said to Brett during one of the exchanges, the kids walked in and I said, you know, can you be quiet for a second? I'm just trying to listen to this. And then I realized it was another time when there was all this crossover talk and everyone going at one another and there was nothing to be learned or gained there. So then I was like, never mind. Everybody shout as loud as you want. It was certainly frustrating. And I'm not sure. I, I know there was some of that in the last debate, but these are this is a whole other set of dynamics here. So I'm not sure if it's just that. That everyone thought, and by everyone, it was largely Brian Pallister and Wab Canoe that were going after each other and talking over one another. But I don't know if it was the dynamic different because this time around, it's a first time for Wab, it's a first time for Dougal Lamont, it's a first time as Brian Pallister as leader or as premier. And did that change the way they all were trying to play there? Uh, somewhat. I, I thought Pallister handled healthcare as as good as he could. And I, I thought Canoe uh, impressed. He always has to watch not uh, looking too smug. And uh, on the healthcare question that I asked him, I thought he did well. And some of the crosstalk, again, it, it gets and, and spirals down. I wrote on Facebook that I'd like to have these um, uh, four in the 680 CGOB studios, maybe for 90 minutes, because then you can actually get some depth. There was a lot of heat last night, not enough light. And I'm hoping they agree to the Winnipeg Chambers of Commerce debate. All of them have said yes so far, other than Brian Pallister. That would give you the opportunity, Loren, a little bit more time with them. I'm not sure that's going to happen. In the end, I'd like to sit down with each of them for half an hour, give them some time to explain themselves, and then ask them some pretty tough questions and give them that opportunity to respond. So I'm not sure debates and 2019, given the modern political communication tools at work here, I'm not sure if they work anymore. I'm not sure that we're getting enough out of this. So I, I left that studio feeling, okay, I did okay in six minutes, but the rest of it, I really felt frustrated for everybody. Did Do you think it's time, you know, to... You, you kind of allude to the fact it's time to revisit, perhaps, how we have these conversations with our political leaders but I, but as it stands right now, the debate is the forum that we use. And so last night's might go down as the only chance for anyone to see any of these leaders 
uh, speak and ask questions of one another. As you mentioned, the, the, we're waiting for confirmation for Brian Pallister to commit to the Winnipeg Chamber debate next week. Is that an obvious and clear strategy, do you think? He, he didn't go to the Brandon Chamber debate. He might not do next week. We're waiting to hear who might come into our studios. Is that just all about putting your head down and, and trying to stay quiet in these final days? Absolutely it is, and I think that uh, he's playing the bob and weave strategy, and it's working. Probe's going to have some numbers out in the next few days uh, as far as who's doing well. Uh, I'll be interested to see whether that Liberal vote is anywhere near where it needs to be because the Conservatives rely on the Liberals to, to kind of split that vote, whether or not there is that uh, that anti-healthcare change vote out there that has gone to the NDP in Battleground Winnipeg. So I think that will determine a lot of it. But if you're running a front-runner's campaign, you want as few opportunities as possible to clash with your opponents. Brian Pallister himself loves doing it. He loves the the back and back and forth, but again, if you're a political strategist, uh, you wouldn't mind him actually spending two and a half weeks of the campaign somewhere else, maybe in Costa Rica. Got a message yesterday on our 680 CJOB Instagram from someone wanting to come talk about their event happening this Saturday, August 31st. It is called the Africanad Carnival. Diverse ethnic cuisines, live performance, and cultural display. And the man behind this event is Ayodele, or A-Y, or A-Y the Senator. Oh my gosh. Wow. I've not seen someone call my name completely true without missing any of the intonation. You got it right. And I'm so happy to be here at 680 Jehovah. Well, we're happy to have you, man. Thank you very much for coming in. So this is the first event of its kind, this African-Caribbean festival. As I know, as someone said, maybe you don't have enough history. This, to my own knowledge, on our own platform will be the first that we'll be seeing that will bring together all the African and Caribbean together, maybe in the last 20 years, maybe we'll be the first because we've not seen anything like this since I've been here and this we're excited to do. So without having something like this, in your understanding in the past, when did the conversation start when you said, hey, like we need to get the community together and, and have a little of a, a celebration? Well, um, I've been to Corbana in Toronto. I've, I've been to Nottingham Festival in London. And since I've been here, probably five years ago, I saw that I've had a lot of um, events, French festival, white party, we've had the uh, Caribbean festival, soccer reggae, and I'm like, what is going on? Why are the Africans and the Caribbean not together? We are all visible minority. We've not seen something together. And Manitoba is huge and we're growing in numbers. And we said, this is the heart of Canada. And the heart of Canada is not having its own huge festival for the African Caribbean. We got to do this. And we just start talking and here we are. So it's happening Saturday at the Cube. What time does this start, by the way? Is it 11 o'clock? The program starts at 11 o'clock and that starts with a parade. Okay. So how long does the event go? 11 to 11, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. And there's even an after party after that. So you said you've been here about five years. Where are you from? Actually, okay, I don't want to say this, but I'm from Nigeria. I'm not a prince. I'm just a white. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> and not don't, a prince. Don't, don't go there like, okay, the prince, I'm not, no. We, and yes, this is, people say you're the one that's been emailing me about this. 
And actually, you know, behind those, we have not only those Nigerians doing those stuff because the Indians, the Chinese, some people are using that to cover up these days. But we are about the positivity. We are about the positiveness and the impact we are impacting. Africa itself is the brand celebrating all visible minority, African and Caribbean, that are making positive impacts in Canada. Only the positive. And this will be the first of a kind of uh, introducing us in a genuine way and seeing what we're all meant for, not the negative. Everyone has so many unique stories in our community. We all, many of us come from somewhere else. And what, what, why Winnipeg? What brought you here? Winnipeg actually was not where we would have said, yes, if we had known that Winnipeg is Winterberg. <laughs> <laughs> we have family here, the Alake family. They're my family. Uh, we do come for holiday. We go to London, we go to U.S., and we come here. It's always during summer. And, like, when I decided, that, okay, it's time to test the water. Let's come here. So you've been here in the summer before. You thought, what I've a great always place been coming to be. in summer. Let's move to Winnipeg. Yes, it's beautiful. We come to uh, the Fox. We love everything going around. I said, this is the place to be until we're moving. And guess what? We came around February twenty, and that was the peak of the winter. My wife told me, "Babe, what did I do to you?" <laughs> <laughs> Take me back home. I'm like, okay, I'm so sorry. I didn't know this place. I was like, don't you put, people know it's called Winterpeg? And well, the story is as it's told, but we're here. I love it. My wife love it. Just dress warm and Winterpeg will be so good for you. And this is the place where you can live economically and balance your life without spending too much. And we love it. And Winterpeg is it. I'm not going nowhere no more. I love this place. And we see now so many different festivals uh, with different groups, and it just seems to seems to me, just from an observational standpoint, that uh, the city is opening its arms up a little bit more and being more welcoming uh, with communities like this. Uh, so, what has the reaction been so far? With as you've reached out to organize this, actually, the, we've had an amazing response from people. Uh, I went for a summer break, a vacation around June. July. I just threw this out there. We designed it. We threw out there. The real intention was not for this year. It was for next year. We just want to, you know, test and see how people will receive this. Amazingly, by the time I came back from London, uh, UK, for my vacation, I saw tons of rec- mm. like emails, almost hundred, and the people sharing this, and not even Africans and Caribbean. They are Caucasians. Say. Have you seen this? Tagging themselves on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page. You'll be amazed. Like, oh my God, we're in trouble. We got to do this. We can't go back no more. We can't go back. We got to do this. Because I'm like, how did you guys say, we love this. We've been waiting for something like this. Fokurama is huge. It's sweet. It's 50 years now. But it's indoor. We want something out there. So it's like we created something and people are waiting for it. It is the right time. And people couldn't wait. Like, we can't wait. We can't wait. Then we said, okay, we got to do this. Whatever we can do. Because... That is the kind of response we're looking for. We want to give people something they're hungry for. People want to see, actually, you don't have, want to assume where I'm from. Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent. How many trivia questions can you answer if I have to throw it to you this morning? Then name three West African countries. Name three South African countries. Can you answer that question? Burkina okay. Faso? <laughs> okay, okay, go. go. <laughs> uh, Chad? Is that West African? And then I would say 
Um, I guess you couldn't, you wouldn't count Morocco. Is that West African? Oh my God, you almost got it. Would you say that? I don't oh, know. Oh, when I say West African, you stay with me. I told you I'm from Nigeria. <laughs> you stay with me. You have to go for That's Ghana. Cheating, don't you think? <laughs> no. If I throw that and, out? and exactly that are part of, those are part of the things we want people to know. Sure. Yeah, and Africana is all about showing and showcasing what the African Caribbean is all about. And now, Instead of you to just say, oh, the black Canadian community, we have a new word for all African Caribbean. It's called African-Canadian. Boom. Just one word. Just introduce the African-Canadian community, and that tells you that, oh, that include, and, you know, the social norms, you want to be fresh, correct, you want to be well, <laughs> correct, that, you know. That's, Af- that's one of the, na- that's basically the name of your your carnival. The carnival is Africanad. Right. And it's for the Africanadians. And if someone asks me, what is African-Canadian? And I said, those are the African and Caribbean Canadians. People born, bred, raised from African and Caribbean people. They're the African Caribbean descent of Canadian. Boom, and we love to just keep on going and we'll be building from there. So Parade Saturday kicks things off at 11 a.m. What else can we expect? Oh, we have music. We have music from all different African artists and we have a lot, a lot of food from African and Caribbean community. Food, dance, cultural display, face painting, Everything you can get. You can get more information at africanad.com or .ca. That's it's africanad.ca. It's the Africanad Carnival. It's happening Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. at the Cube in the Exchange District. A.Y. the Senator Ayodele. Thank you so much for coming and to see us. Now Thank that I look at the map, I see all these things I should have mentioned. Mali, where we have Canadian troops, for goodness sake, Sierra. Leon, come on, Loren. All right. Hey, why, the senator? Thank you for coming to see us. It is McGarry and McNabb on the start. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.